0: announced last week I would be starting a new three-week series. Thank you for your prayers. Uh, Linda and I went on vacation with our daughter and son-in-law and our granddaughter. And so we were gone last weekend. We went to a ski area called Blacktail Ski Area. It's right outside of Lakeside, Montana, which is close to Kalispell. And I'm happy to report I came back without any broken bones. Oh, man. You know, yeah, yeah. Oh, I tell you, it's crazy when your eight-year-old granddaughter can outski you. We would start at the top of the mountain and sh- I'd say, Faith, I'll uh, follow you, but I won't be able to catch you. But we had just a really, really good time, and I appreciate your prayers and that opportunity to get away. Hey, by the way, our new daily breads are here, so be sure to pick one up, either at the Welcome Center or as you leave. This is your daily devotional book for March, April, and May. You'll need it because we're, believe it or not, moving into March this month. There's scriptures to read. There's a little devotional thought, a little prayer. This is a great way to be into the Word every day. So this morning what I want to do is start really a verse-by-verse study of Matthew chapter 10. And I'm entitling this Sharing Jesus because that's one of our values here at Wenatchee First Assembly. If you've been around, you know that our vision, why are we here is to inspire lifelong relationships with Jesus. Not just an event, not just a one-time thing, but we want to inspire people to serve Jesus for their entire life. Now, how do we do that? That's our vision. How do we do that? That's our mission. And our mission is to love, to mend, to train, and to send. Our elders adopted that back in 1982. We haven't veered from that. The way we show God's love is by loving others, by helping them mend, by training them, and then by sending them out. Now, recently, we came up with four values that support both our vision and our mission. And I want to review those for a moment. The first is authentic community. We don't want to just come on Sunday morning, rub shoulders, shake a few hands. and We really want to do life together. We had almost 35 at our men's breakfast yesterday morning. It was a wonderful time to sit around the table with men that perhaps we would not have had time to get to know in any other way. It's part of having authentic community, a place where people can belong, trying to help people. doesn't matter what generation you might be. I love that we have a multi-generational church. I don't care what the background is. We need to be a community of believers. The second value we have is spiritual development. We want people to come and experience the transforming power of Jesus Christ. If they don't know Jesus, we want them to meet Jesus in a personal way. But then we want to disciple them, train them, take them beyond just a one-time salvation or born-again experience. Help them. To develop a relationship with Jesus, we do that in many different ways. Wednesday night Bible study is a way that we dig deep into the Word, that we discipleship. Small groups throughout the week. The Chosen, many of you are involved in the Chosen, is a way of us to develop, to mature spiritually. But we know that you can build a sailboat, it can be a perfect sailboat, but it's not going anyplace if you don't have wind. And that's why our third value is equally as important, and that is spiritual empowerment. You know, the Bible says no one can really even come to the Lord unless the Father draw him. We need spiritual revelation, and we need spiritual empowerment. We're a Pentecostal church. We believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is given to us to provide power that we might walk victoriously and power, that we might serve the Lord, that we might be witnesses of the Lord, which brings us to our fourth value, which is sharing Jesus. And that's really what this whole series is about. How do we share Jesus? Well, on our spiritual value uh, poster, and we had it out for, for many, many months. We have a megaphone because we want all of us to know that it's important that we all are broadcasting, not necessarily vocally, but in our life. We want people to see Jesus in us, you know, sharing Jesus. We're people that want not only to Receive of God's glory, but we want to share that story of reconciliation with our neighbors, with our community, with people around the world. So, how do we do that? How do we really share Jesus? Well, as we always do, we go to the scripture and we say, Lord, show us from your word, show us by your example, how do we share Jesus? And that's what Matthew 10 is all about, how we can share the Lord. But everything in Matthew 10 hinges on the end of Matthew 9. You can't can't look at Matthew 9 without really understanding why he is uh, detailing what he said earlier. Now, remember when the Bible was written, there were no chapters or verses So they're kind of in here randomly sometimes. So I want to read, to begin with, Matthew 9, beginning with verse 35. This is the foundation for what Jesus is teaching us. Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed. They were helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. It's the only prayer request of Jesus that we have recorded for workers that you and I, who are part of the kingdom of God, would rise up and would share what? The good news. That's what verse 35 says. Jesus preached the good news. Now, we're not all called to be preachers. We're not all called to be evangelists. We're not all called to be, you know, stand on the street corner. But we're all called to radiate the love, the forgiveness, the grace, the mercy, the glory of God. Then Jesus... After he makes this prayer request, chapter 10 sends out the 12 disciples. And throughout the next three weeks, we're going to learn some things from Matthew 10 that'll help us to understand we too have been sent out. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity I have to share this series that you've laid on my heart. I pray, God, that you will... Open our eyes and open our ears that we might hear, that we might not be defensive in saying, oh, that's for somebody else, but we might realize that we as individual people, every one of us in this room, every one of us watching online, we have a mission, and that mission is to reflect your goodness that people might be drawn to you. So help us as we look into your word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's message is entitled, Defining Your Mission. Not the mission of the church, not the mission of Pastor Jerry, but defining your mission. I want to talk for a moment about the need for each of us to find our mission in life. Now, first of all, I want to make a really important distinction about this. I'm not talking about the blueprint of your entire life. You know, if you want to know what you'll be doing in 20 years, you're probably going to have to wait 20 years to find out. You know what I'm saying? Because typically, typically God does not reveal a 20-year plan to any of us. He reveals the next step that he wants us to take. One step. And as soon as we're obedient to that step, he will give us the next step. And over a period of 20 years of obedience, you'll be exactly where God wants you. What happens with big-term vision, whether it's pastors or CEOs or, you know, the head of your family, you think, this is where we want to be in 10 years. That almost can become an idol. Where everything you do is just so focused on that 10-year vision that you miss out on the moment. Jesus knew his mission was to go to the cross, to die, to allow the Holy Spirit to raise him again on that third day. But friends, he took care of the moment and we have to take care of the moment. What you're doing right now might not be what you're gonna be doing forever. The task God has for you might develop, might expand, might change in a totally different direction. Some of you may be working in areas today that you know you won't be doing for the rest of your life, but it doesn't minimize what God has called you to do today. 37 years ago, when this congregation asked me to become the lead pastor, I really did it with with fear and trepidation, thinking, I've never pastored a church. I really don't feel like I have the skill set. what's the vision for the church? You know, I was wrestling with all that. And probably the best piece of advice I got at that time was from the pastor of the First United Methodist Church on Miller and Washington Street, a wonderful lady by the name of Marianne Swenson. Pastor Swenson actually went on to become the bishop of the Methodist Church down in Southern California. But I was sitting at the Red Lion with her one day, and I remember specifically one of my deacons, Bill Hartman, was there. We went on Friday, because at that time, the Red Lion had the best clam chowder on Friday. Oh, mm, still miss it. And we were there. Marianne, her husband, Bill, and I, and I just shared a little bit. I said, you know, I, I really feel so in that. I don't know what the long-term vision is of the church. And she said, Jerry, just do what Jesus is calling you to do at the moment. Don't get so hung up on where he's taking you. Just keep walking forward day by day by day. And if you are being led by the Holy Spirit every day, you will end up where the Holy Spirit wants you. And I thought, man, that is such, it took this big burden off my shoulders. I didn't have to worry about, well, when are we going to launch this ministry? When are we going to build a new sanctuary? When are we going to do that? It didn't matter. Just get up in the morning, make sure it be led by the Spirit. Samuel uh, Goldwyn, he's one of the co-founders of MGM Studios, attributed his success to this, and I'll quote him. He says, I've always considered what I was doing at the time to be the most important thing in the world. Think about that for a moment. I've always considered what I was doing at the time to be the most important thing in the world. God has a mission for you today. It might or might not be part of his long-term plan, but it's important. And so today I want us to take some time to define that mission. And I want you to think about maybe two or three people who have most influence your life, whether you're 17 years old or 90-some. Like our brother Loy, who had a birthday a couple days ago. And I won't tell you how old he is, but he's 90-something. So this applies to, think about the two or three people who've had the most influence on your life. I would almost guarantee none of us are going to come up with famous names. A lot of the names that would be on my list, you've never heard of. You know, I doubt if we're going to come up with a name like Humphrey Bogart or something like that, you know, where we, you know. The people that have had the most positive impact on your life are probably not famous people. Yet, they've achieved greatness because they've changed your life for the better. See what I'm saying? Oh, I've read a lot of Chuck Swindoll books. I've read a lot of Max Licato books because my sister and brother-in-law go to his church, and so every Christmas I get his latest book. (laughs) Uh, You know, uh, nothing wrong with that. And there's good stuff in there, but man, Max Licato or Chuck Swindoll, they wouldn't be high on my list. They haven't really influenced me the way some of the other people have. And I'm thinking, man, in the same way, if I can make a lasting difference on people's lives, or maybe six or seven people's lives in my lifetime, that's going to last for generations to come. See, your mission is to find really what you do for other people. It's not about building the Taj Mahal. It's not about acquiring a million dollars of assets. And in Matthew 10, Jesus sent his disciples out on this mission. And as we look at these verses today, we're going to see some lessons about how we can define our mission for today. What is your mission? Now, defining your mission is a seven-step process. And I put those seven steps in the back of your program if you're... Online, wfa.church slash live stream, you'll see the, the notes there as well. I encourage you to take notes, to examine these seven steps more closely in the days to come. Don't just listen today, but I really want you to take this and let little marinate, okay? The first step we're going to discover as we look into Matthew 10 is you need to take an inventory of the gifts and abilities God has given you. What are the gifts and abilities God has given you? This chapter begins, chapter 10. Let's read the first four verses. He called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits, to cure every kind of disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and then Simon's brother, Andrew. There was James, the son of Zebedee, and then James' brother, John. There was Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and that tax collector by the name of Matthew, James, Thaddeus, another Simon the Zealot, not to be confused with Simon, who is called Peter, and then Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Before Jesus sent his disciples out on a mission, he empowered them. He gave them gifts. He gave them abilities to do what he had called them to do. 2 Corinthians 3 says that God will enable and equip you to be a minister of the new covenant. So if you feel the Holy Spirit telling you you should take a plate of cookies and a note of encouragement to a neighbor that you don't know very well and you're kind of reluctant, remember the Holy Spirit will give you the enablement, the power to do exactly that. If the Lord prompts a word into your heart as he did in Anne Marie's case today, she probably wrestled with that a little bit. But then the Holy Spirit gave her the power to come and say, Pastor, I think this is what the Lord wants us to hear. God will not call you to do something and not give you the ability to do it. But God works within our giftings and our ability. I mean, it stands to reason that when Jesus gave his disciples the ability, as we just read, to heal sickness, it just stands to reason that their mission's gonna be involving healing people of their sickness? Why would he give you the gift of music and then not want to use that gift in his kingdom? So if you want to know what your mission is, ask the Lord to show you what your specific gifts and abilities are. What has the Lord empowered you to do? I think that's the first clue in determining God's mission for your life. Are you a good teacher? Are you a good encourager? Are you a good giver? Are you a good musician? Are you a good organizer? You know, if you're a good organizer, God's probably going to call you to organize something. Some of you are great problem solvers. Well, then your mission probably is going to involve Solving problems. If you have musical gifts, God will probably put you to work in that area. I've known people that have wanted to be used in worship and musical gifts, but that really hasn't been their calling, their their gifting. Now, we can all make a joyful noise into the Lord, but please stay with me you need to ask yourself, you know, what has God enabled me to do? I deal with a lot of people that, you know, I'm pretty good at this, but this is really what I want to do over here. It's kind of like that actor-director syndrome. I'm a really good actor, but I really want to direct. You know, we want to be in charge. And sometimes that attitude comes from people of all walks of life, and I I see it a lot. People often want to do something more glamorous than they're good at doing. But when God looks down at us, he's not comparing us. He's just watching to see if we're obedient what he's asking us to do. What he's empowered you to do, he'll use you to do. Now, the second thing is we need to determine whom God is calling us to reach. The whole world, all seven billion people need the Lord. Whom God is calling you to reach? Let's read verses 5 and 6 as we work our way through the text. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans but go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Have you ever thought about why would Jesus limit the outreach efforts of his disciples? Is it because Jesus didn't like the Gentiles? No. Is it because Jesus had to hang up with Samaritans? No. We know elsewhere in the Bible, it's recorded Jesus often ministered to Gentiles. He often ministered to Samaritans. But he sent his disciples in this context exclusively to the lost sheep of Israel because it was their first step in the ministry of outreach. So he sent them to a familiar group like any good Strategist, Jesus had these disciples take a slow start, build some confidence, start with an audience they knew. Don't worry that Jesus is going to ask you to move to the Philippines and start preaching crusades to tens of thousands of people. God's going to call you to the people that are currently part of your life. Those most familiar. Those that you're comfortable with. See the disciples were not ready to be told. At this point. Go into all the world. And preach the gospel. That would have scared them to death. So instead. He makes it easy on them. He says I've given you gifts. I've given you talents. Now. Here's who I want you to start with. Go to your fellow Jews. Jesus started them off with a smaller target, and he'll do the same for us. Some of us are afraid of sharing Jesus because we just get overwhelmed by where that might end up, but Jesus says, no, I'm not going to ask you to do something you're not ready to do. Now, we know for us as a church, when Anti First Assembly, God wants us to reach everyone, but there is a segment of the population, even of Wenatchee, that we're best equipped to reach. And that's what we need to focus on. It's not the extent of the outreach, but it's the first step. And it's the same way in our life. There are certain people that you are best equipped to reach. Maybe it's children. I've had people that have attended here for two or three years And have said, you know, are you married? We've never met your wife. Well, that's because every Sunday, my wife's with the preschoolers. She loves the preschoolers. Now, once in a while, she gets away and she gets to come and worship with us. But that's where she's called. She loves the preschoolers. Maybe it's business people that God has called you to. Maybe it's people in recovery. That's where you begin. Before God gives you a larger task, he's going to give you a smaller task. Does that make sense? I hope this is actually, you know, kind of helps you and and takes some of the burden off of you that sometimes we put on people when it comes to sharing our faith. Number three, we have to know our gifts and we have to know where we're going, but we also have to articulate the heart of the message. That's found in verse 7. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. That's how NIV translates it. I like to do a lot of studying in the new revised standard version. Uh, I don't preach from it often. It's a little bit more woody and and choppy, but it's... it's, I don't know, it's really got an accuracy that I like. And New Revised Standard translates this verse this way. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. I like that. Friends, remember, the heart of our message is good news The gospel is good news. God's message to us is always a message of hope and that'll draw people. In our Thursday morning men's group, Kurt has shared multiple times as he was in bondage to sin and walking in darkness and someone took him to church and no one talked about his addictions and his bondage. They shared good news. You can ask her, what drew you to the Lord? It was good news. It was that Jesus loves us, that Jesus is here to help us. Man, sometimes, friends, we make the mistake, and I've done it, of articulating, of of failing to articulate the accurate message that Jesus has given us. And you know what happens? (laughs) People see us as judgmental. They see us as holier than thou. There are people in Wenatchee this morning that think the church's message is, you're a sinner and you're going to hell. That's not the church's message. In reality, our message is Jesus Christ is Lord. He loves you. He has the power to save you. He has the power to change your life. And God has called us to reach a certain group of people, and he's given us a message. Make sure you articulate the message correctly. Now, let me give you a couple of examples. If you're in recovery, what's your message? It's not that drugs and alcohol can destroy your life. Come on, an addict already knows that. Right? They already know that. Their life is a living proof of that. They're struggling with addiction. They don't have to be lectured about the power of drugs. They need to hear the good news that Jesus can deliver them from the destructive behavior that controls them. Man, if you're ministering to teenagers, to to youth, you don't have to tell them the world's a mess. Those kids have figured that out. They don't have to be told how good they've got everything and how much they should appreciate everyone else. Man, I wish I had a dollar if every time when I was growing up, people would say, you just don't know how good you've got it. That's not the gospel. That's not the good news. The good news for teenagers is that in spite of the challenges they face, God loves them. God loves transform them God can use them in a great way articulate your message to whom God is calling you but make sure you say the way Jesus would okay it's good news number four build your mission around helping people (laughs) not about trying to make a name for yourself Isn't that what verse 8 really implies? It says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, so freely give. Your mission, my mission, is all about giving. It really is. Jesus was telling them in verse 8 here to do what he had empowered them to do back in verse 1. He said, I gave you these giftings so that you can use them. Why? For the benefit of other people. You've been given the gift of healing, not to start a healing ministry, but to go and to heal the sick. Your mission as an individual involves helping people. I just want to tell you that right now. Because Jesus is our example, and he says, I have come not to be served. Jesus came to serve, and he demonstrated that in a multiplicity of ways. It's been said that the key to successful ministry is to find a need and to fill it. And in some ways, that's what Jesus has called us to do. Ask yourself this morning, what am I doing to help other people? Now, your work might not be as flashy as raising the dead or casting out demons. But if you're helping people, you're doing the kingdom work. Did you hear me? If you're helping people, you are doing kingdom work. If you're living out God's mission for your life, other people will benefit from it. Now, the question we've got to ask ourselves is, how are they going to benefit from us? Well, it's not us, and that's why you need to double-check your motives, and Jesus is pretty clear here. Verse 8, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Then he says at the end of verse 8, freely you've received, freely give. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey, not even an extra tunic or sandals, or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Jesus is saying two things here to his disciples. First of all, forget about doing it for selfish gain. That's not why we're called to serve. And forget about your personal security. That's the second thing I think he's saying here. He's saying, if you do my work, I'll take care of you for the worker is worth his keep." But that can't be our primary purpose. The what's-in-it-for-me mentality, it, it, it squelches our ability to be effective in sharing Jesus. Now you see that in professional sports all the time. It's absolutely crazy. Athletes who are paid tens and hundreds of millions of dollars who refuse to do their job until they get paid more money. But have you ever noticed the truly great players don't have that attitude? I was talking to Pastor Allen this week about Dorothy McGahey. Allen didn't have a chance to meet Dorothy. Dorothy was a great basketball fan. She loved basketball. She loved Michael Jordan. And she was so sensitive to the Holy Spirit sometimes she'd say you know pastor I don't want Michael Jordan to become an idol for me maybe I shouldn't watch so much basketball I mean, she, she was so sensitive to the Lord but she loved Michael Jordan Michael Jordan never held off for more money, never he was paid and he did his job and there's others I am not a denver bronco fan never have been even before their current quarterback i, I never have been a, but i tell you i have much much respect for john elway because he never held out for more money even after he was released he stayed in the community he's still in denver He runs these car lots. When I go to Denver, there's these big signs, you know, John Elway Ford, John Elway Chevrolet. He's got these, and he's still giving, 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 even though now he's not even part of the Bronco organization. And I said, man, there's a guy. It's not about him. It's about serving his community. And the principle applies to more than money. It applies to recognition, if our main motive is to impress others or to receive honor or affirmation, boy, let it go. <laughs> you know, if, you, if you're offended because someone didn't thank you for doing something for them, man, it's, it, you need to take that to the Lord and ask yourself, did I do that because I wanted affirmation back or did I do it just because I wanted to serve them? Okay, the sixth thing I see here is you need to surround yourself and be loyal to worthy people in your life. Verse 11, whatever town or village you enter, search for some, here it is, worthy person and stay at his house until you leave. And as you enter the house, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or that town. As you and I pursue living out God's mission for life, God will send people into our life, and not necessarily the ones that you would choose, but he'll send people into your life that are worthy, who will stand with you, who will support you. Be loyal to those people. Man, it's good for us to ask ourselves the question, who right now are the worthy people God has placed into my life? And then be loyal to them, as the Scripture says. You cannot be successful in any venture without the support of other people. Worthy people. And once God has brought those worthy people into your life, commit yourself to be loyal to them always. Okay, last comment about living out your God-given mission is number seven. You need to be prepared to sidestep rejection. And we'll talk more about this next week because as we unpack Matthew 10, Jesus talks about opposition. (laughs) He introduces it here. Be prepared to sidestep rejection. If anyone, verse 14, will not welcome you or listen to your word, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. I tell you the truth, it'll be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. If you make it your endeavor to do something for the glory of God, you can count on it. You're going to be criticized by somebody. You're going to be rejected by somebody. Brand mentioned it at our men's breakfast yesterday. I think it was his dad or grandfather that would say, man, if the devil's not after you, <laughs> you better examine your life because you're not doing anything for God. Because if you're doing something for God, you're going to have opposition. Now, that shouldn't scare us, and we're going to talk about that next week as we continue with verse 16. But let me just say this. Let's not kid ourselves. Criticism hurts. (laughs) Rejection hurts. Betrayal hurts. And Jesus knew all those feelings. He was criticized. He was rejected. He was betrayed. And sometimes they make you want to quit. It's frustrating to pour your, your life into a job or a ministry only to hear other people second-guess you. Say, I don't approve of that, or I don't trust you, or I don't like you. Or, but when that happens, there's only one way to respond. I, I put it in the outline to sidestep the issue. What I'm just trying to say is don't get distracted. Uh, shake the dust off your feet and move on. Move on. Let God deal with them. You don't need to deal with them. Make sure your attitude's right and move on. Let your critics and complainers know, hey, you might feel that way, but it's not going to slow me down. I'm going to continue moving forward to living out God's mission in my life. God has called all of us in this room, all of us watching online, to do something for him to share him, whether that's verbally, whether that's in written form, whether that's in our lifestyle. We have a mission. And in early stages, it might look small to you, but he's got big plans for you. Your objective, my objective, is to grow into our mission. Seven points, let's review them. Take inventory of your gifts and your talents. What has God given me? Number two, uh, to whom is God calling me to use these gifts and talents? If you're part of Wenatchee First Assembly and you have a talent, this is the place to start. Doesn't mean that God might not launch you into a worldwide ministry someday. But you got to live in the moment. Number three... Make sure you've got the right message. It's not about telling other people how terrible they are because they already know that. It's about introducing the good news. The kingdom of God is near. Build your mission around helping other people. Always stop and double-check your motives. Recognize and be loyal to those worthy people that God has sent into your life to help. And then be prepared when opposition does come, simply to sidestep it and move forward. And we'll talk more about that next week. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that gives us very good instructions on what you have called us to do. I thank you, Lord, that you have called each and every person here today to share the good news with those around them. Father, it might look different for Virgil than it does for Patty or for me or for Brenda, but, God, you want to use all of us to share the good news that the kingdom of heaven is near, that God loves us unconditionally, that God sent Jesus to rescue us, to deliver us, to save us. And I pray, Lord, this week that every person who's heard this message will begin to wrestle with what their mission is, will receive from you the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and will step out in faith to those that you've called them to minister to. Truly, people might see the difference in our life. As Betty shared, the people might begin to say, Why do they do those things? Why do they act like that? Why do they have such peace? Why why do they return criticism with compliments? Why can they be so peaceful in such a conflicted world? People see Jesus in us this week. That's the way we want to share our faith. So help us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.